Are you attracted by the studies of law, but you're looking for an alternative to law practice and court cases? How about human rights? How about sport and human rights? Guido Battaglia studied law and he worked for several years at the World Economic Forum. He's now investing his career to promote the respect of human rights through sports. Enjoy the episode. Guido, what a pleasure to have you on my podcast. Thanks a lot for accepting. I know you're just coming back from Qatar, so uh, thanks for taking some time. You are the head of policy and outreach for Center for Sport and Human Rights. So that's pretty big title. Uh, can you tell me what is your job and what does your organization do? Yes, thank you, Laura. It's a pleasure to join your podcast. Thank you for the invitation. <laughs> As a head of policy and outreach of the Center for Sport and Human Rights, I am in charge of engagement with constituents. What it means in practice is that I reach out to people across the sport ecosystem. I reach out to governments, to international organizations, sponsors, broadcasters, and uh, develop a relationship with these actors that are so important in the context of sport. Mm -hmm. including also sport bodies, of course. And the idea is to help them navigate and understand issues linked to respect for human rights in the world of sport. And this is really the main objective of our organization. Our organization, the Center for Sport and Human Rights, is the outcome of a process that brought together governments, international organizations, sponsors, sport bodies, trade unions, NGOs, and all they gathered to discuss together, okay, what are the human rights implications of the activity of sport? Sport as an industry, of course, but also sport as the day-to-day -day activity that we all cherish and enjoy. Hmm. For a long time, sport has focused on, uh, I would say, the positive aspect of it the things we all love about sport, its ability to bring us together, to bring us together in a context of rules, of respect, of uh, brotherhood and sisterhood. But sport has also become a big business, a business that drives political, social, economic interest. And as a consequence of that, like any other sector, mining, infrastructure, fast-moving consumer goods, you name any economic system or structure around the world, sport has also to deal with negative impacts and with consequences that may have a negative impact on the rights of people that are involved in sport. So the, the Center for Sport and Human Rights, is um, the, the main goal is to really defend those human rights of the sports athletes. Yes, yes, it's a good point, Laura. The point is to promote the respect for human rights through sport. Mm. And it will be a journey. We're not there yet. We know that when mega sporting events like the World Cup in Qatar or the Olympics or the Commonwealth Games or the Jeux de la Francophonie, any regional or international event linked to sport is organized, there are impacts. There are impacts that may affect the local communities that could be, for example, evicted from specific areas in an unlawful way. There are impacts on workers. And, of course, it is an 
in the headlines and in the news, the, the famous uh, guardian figure of uh, how many people were impacted and mm. uh, also how many of them died in preparation to the World Cup to construct the stadia and the other mm. infrastructure. But reality is that the sport ecosystem is a very complex one. And it is not only about communities, not only about workers, but it's also about athletes whose rights can also be impacted. It's about fans, supporters that attend the game. It's about uh, journalists. And uh, it's about minorities. You can think about the LGBTQI minority that is not welcome in some regions around the world. Mm. We can talk about... Uh, people with disabilities whose access is always an issue when it comes to sport. And really the idea behind the establishment of the Center for Sport and Human Rights is that there are many complexities, political, social, economical, behind how sport is structured. And it is only through a collective action and response that these issues can be meaningfully addressed. And at the end, there could be really um, an equivalence between uh, what sport promotes and the values that sport promotes and then what sport achieves in practice. And this is how sport can really contribute to sustainable development. So have you done this for a long time? It's been five years now and it's mm. a very, very new topic, new area. There is a lot of work to be done, which is extremely exciting. And... Um, I'm building on the experience I developed with other sectors to include standards and internationally recognized principles to address this issue in industry sectors. Mm. So let's uh, backtrack a bit from uh, you know, your previous experiences that brought you to this job. How does one get to work for, and I imagine it's an NGO, for sports and human rights? What was your path? My specific path involved uh, three key steps. Uh, the first one is linked to my education and what I studied at university. I mm -hmm. studied law at the University of Milan, graduated okay. in uh, 2008. And uh, my passions there were international trade law, were the implications of uh, globalization and how this impacted people, international law, crime law, and to be honest with you, Laura, I was a bit weaker in areas such as contract law or civil <laughs> law. <laughs> they were definitely not my, my passion. So after graduation and after two very interesting years uh, practicing in an international law firm, I decided to move to Geneva, also for family reasons, and uh, I had the opportunity to start a job with the World Economic Forum here in Geneva. Oh, excellent. And this is the second step, the second uh, change in my career. And my job at the World Economic Forum was clearly more focused on international relations, public affairs, and there was a sustainability aspect because I was working with uh, the mining sector. I was working with mining companies, with infrastructure companies, and my job was to bring them together and uh, discuss together sustainability issues that uh, were linked to environmental protection, but also social protection of the communities that are involved and uh, affected by the operations of these companies. Hmm. So I spent six years there, which were extremely rewarding. I could travel the world. 
I was in charge <laughs> <Awesome>. of <laughs> projects uh, in Africa. I work in Latin America. There were projects in India. And of course, every year there was the annual summit in Davos mm-hmm. where all the CEOs, high-level politicians, economists, professors were gathering. And it was very, very interesting to convene and to send messages around the work that was done and objectives for the years to come. This lasted uh, six, seven years. I also had the opportunity to work then for an industry association uh, in London uh, on issues linked to mining and development. Mm. But then this experience uh, came to an end quite abruptly. And this is where the third (laughs) big step uh, in my career happened. And uh, I started engaging with an organization called the Institute for Human Rights and Business based in London, whose job is really to promote human rights principles in corporate world, in how business operates. I was involved in projects around commodities trading, mining again, and then uh, a project on sport started five, six years ago, and I raised my hand. I said, okay, I enjoy sport. This (laughs) This sounds extremely interesting. How can I help? And I joined the team that uh, started working on this topic. And as the debate and the discussions continued, then a center was established in 2018, become a Swiss association in 2021. And now I'm in charge of uh, engagement, as uh, I told you before. Ah, excellent. That's a great, a great, uh, great career because, um, you know, it's not easy. You're, you're saying it as if it were easy, but it's actually not easy to enter the likes of the World Economic Forum. It's highly competitive and there's a waiting list, <laughs> basically. <laughs> so <laughs> it's a, for those who are listening, say, oh, yeah, I would love to also, you know, join an NGO or the World Economic Forum to do good in the world. What, what kind of two cents would you give them to do uh, in order to to reach that goal one day? I think that there are different dimensions here, Laura. When I joined the World Economic Forum, I was relatively young. I was 25. Mm. And of course, I joined a junior position. I was lucky enough to notice that at the time, there was a junior position that was open. Yeah. And uh, and yeah, I remember I had three, four interviews. And uh, clearly, I I was extremely lucky (laughs) to, to, to get an opportunity. I showed my passion for for the way the private and the public sector interact. Mm-hmm. This is something that I always found extremely interesting, the, the implications of what we do at the corporate level on people and really try to focus on uh, really what happens to people when certain policies, when certain decisions are applied. This has always been my, my main interest, my main passion. And yeah, perhaps this, uh, this interest helped me and then help me grow internally, help me identify different sectors and different areas where probably there was a stronger link uh, between the activity of the organization and the impact on people. I was surrounded by economists, uh, by people that had very strong uh, uh, social political skills as well, and maybe they were more interested in analysis, they were more, in- more interested in macroeconomic aspects. What I was more passionate about was the impact on people. And sometimes in organizations such as the World Economic Forum, you can really tell that uh, you're working at the macro level, at the high level, 
and uh, many people question, okay, but what is the real impact? I think that what is extremely interesting is that uh, any decision, any policy has an impact on people. But uh, this requires investigation, this requires deep dive study, this requires uh, further work to really appreciate how can these uh, high-level principles then get translated into what happens on a daily basis. And I mm -hmm. think that the connection is there. And um, if you deep dive into this, you can really find this, uh, this connection and you can get really passionate and, uh, and find uh, a meaning you know, to, uh, for all the meetings and uh, all the level discussions that uh, mm -hmm. are part of the job there. So one way to enter this, this line of work is to apply, of course, <laughs> as, you, as you said, you know, that's step one, which is uh, important. And I, from what I hear, you've done also a lot of networking. You, you're not mm -hmm. just sat on your couch and wait until a job uh, taps at your door, which is number one. And number two, what, what else could, could help in, in terms of uh, gaining experience? Uh, because when, when you are also especially fresh out of either university of your, or of your main study, the employer wants to have a great uh, resume with already some experience and, and, and great grades and, and all this. So how, how do you find the way through? In my case, internships definitely helped. I okay. managed to enter and to benefit from two internship opportunities, okay. one in Milan and uh, one here in Geneva. Okay. So the first one was the European Commission Liaison Office uh, in Milan. Mm. And it was uh, very press and communication focused. My task was to monitor the news, scan the news, identify relevant information in the Italian press that could be of interest for the parliamentarians and uh, for the members of the European Commission working in Brussels. Mm -hmm. So okay. this was... This was very interesting, very rewarding. We were a very young team. Uh, we were all uh, 21, 22, 23, <laughs> and uh, everyone extremely passionate about this. And this lasted three, four months, and um, it was a morning assignment. And my routine those days was I go to the office in the morning, and then in the afternoon, of course, it was about um, following the lessons and studying for the, for the exams which was uh, okay. a nice... Uh, uh, so while you were studying, you were also doing yes. the internship. Okay. Yes. Great. And then the second one was an opportunity with the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of Italy, which mm. uh, provides this opportunity to new graduates to join uh, programs in embassies or international missions abroad. So you can work and have a, a working experience at the bilateral or at the multilateral level. I remember that there were some options when I applied. I was interested in the multila multilateral aspect. I was interested in the trade aspect of uh, international affairs. So for me, Geneva and the WTO were um, the first candidate. But I remember that uh, when I scanned the other options and the different opportunities, I saw that uh, there was an opportunity at the Italian consulate in Izmir in Turkey. Uh -huh. and, uh, and, <laughs> and, uh, and then an opportunity at the Italian consulate in Marseille in France. And I don't know why. I thought, okay, clearly multilateralism uh, is my first choice, but what if 
I get to these countries, uh, that will be extremely interesting as well. Mm -hmm. Sliding doors. At the end, <laughs> yeah. it was Geneva. And maybe also because of this opportunity, I also had the opportunity to, to be considered for my World Economic Forum application because already I'd spent some time in the city. I don't know, but maybe it helped. And also you're talented too. <laughs> Thank you. You're, <laughs> Thank modest, you you're modest, so let me say it. <laughs> Thank you. I want to bring the focus uh, again on the organization you work for. And um, so it's an NGO, right? It is, uh, yes. It is, okay. a, it is so an association, Swiss-based association, uh, Swiss okay. association working with all actors in the world of okay. sport. Yes. So when, when you look at your association, what are the roles that would be important you know if, if the young young man young woman um of tomorrow you know coming out of school or university what kind of job could they aspire or what what is really important for such an organization in terms of talent and um position there are many different uh, sets of skills and expertise that could help an organization like the center for sport and human rights and uh, of course we're small we're growing The, the overall topic of promotion and respect of human rights through sport is something that did not exist 10 years ago. And our organization, we were three or four people five years ago. Now we're 15, so we're mm -hmm. growing. So just an, as an introductory <laughs> remark, Laura, I really hope that uh, the sector will grow and there will be increasing opportunities, not only with the center, but also with sport organizations, with sponsors, and uh, with many other economic actors that can really contribute to this topic. But when it comes to profiles, there, is, there are very different profiles we can look at. Communication, this is, of course, something absolutely important. Engagement, public affairs, and fundraising are key because it's mm. also about yeah. promoting an agenda. It's about sharing a message that people are not really used to hear. And it's about explaining the advantages and the value that focusing on this work could add to the activities of other actors. So there is clearly a public affairs part. And then there is specific expertise on specific areas mm. uh, that are really developing. Uh, one is abuse, uh, child rights, athletes abuse. We are hearing news from all around the world around athletes in gymnastics, in ice skating, but really any, any sport is involved, about, yeah. unfortunately, not good practices um, in terms of trainings and education applied to sport. So people with expertise on child rights clearly could, uh, could find good opportunities. And then specific expertise on uh, issues such as disability, gender, non-discrimination, these are areas that are really, really evolving. And uh, diversity and inclusion, this, this is where we will need uh, skills and talent to, to advance the agenda. Are these skills that you get on the job or are there, you know, curricula, you know, from universities and you know, maybe postgraduate or graduate um, studies that um, give you, you know, lead you to that, those profiles? I think it's an evolving trend. And we see more and more faculties and uh, academia around the world engaging and starting business and human rights projects, business and human rights curricula. Mm. And when 
there is also a connection. We also see specific sport and human rights curricula being developed. And this is also one of the priorities of the center. Uh, the center's mission is to promote a world of sport that fully respects human rights, and education is at the core of it. So more universities we gather and we convene and we um, work together with to promote this agenda and to promote some of the principles at the core of our work, then the easier it will be for future management and uh, for people involved in this industry in the future to be more attentive to these issues and um, to take this important part into account when doing their job. And uh, if you were to have um, some of these young people in front of you today, um, what would you tell them? What, what, what advice would you give them? It's something I do on a regular basis, and I think it is one of the most rewarding parts of my job. We have meetings with uh, university classes, with students, oh, and uh, I, can really, I can really tell you that there is a huge, huge interest uh, from the young generation in this topic. Mm-hmm. And what we do when we, when we engage with them, we start talking about how great sport it is. I think we all agree that sport yeah. is fantastic. It yeah. makes us happy. It connects us. It make, makes us feel free, <laughs> healthy. Um, it's good for education. It's good. It's something really, really, really good for all of us. But what sometimes we tend to underestimate or not to consider is that uh, maybe it can be good for us, but uh, in certain cases, it's not good for the experience of other people. Yeah. People may be yeah. abused. People may suffer discrimination, may not have access to sport, which is, of course, a human rights issue. People uh, may suffer because of higher interests at stake that uh, do not take into account their needs. So we share examples. And uh, what we also do is that we share examples from athletes and uh, people that took a stand to talk about these topics in the past and now because clearly they're way more effective than me (laughs) or any other policy uh, person talking about these issues. There are the examples of Marcus Rashford. I don't know if you know him. He's a Manchester United player that during the pandemics uh, took a very strong stand to protect and to ask uh, that uh, uh, some specific social measures to provide meals for underprivileged people in Mm. Manchester were kept and were not dismantled as the government was planning to do. It was a very fantastic uh, uh, example of uh, young, brave players taking a stand for something very important. Another example could be Megan Rapinoe, uh, the captain of the United States women's team. The world team and Megan Rapinoe in particular have been fighting for LGBTQI rights, for equal pay, for social issues uh, for, for a long time. And in history, there are many examples, and the most uh, famous one is probably the protest of uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos in 1968 uh, at the Olympics in Mexico when they celebrated, uh, they made a podium celebration, raising their right hand with a black claw uh, hmm. for uh, respect for human rights. Uh, that, was, uh, that was a very, very strong message. And uh, there was another actor in that podium, an Australian white person called Peter Norman, who had five minutes to decide, okay, should I support them? Should I not support them? And in five minutes, he took the right decision and he wore the same pin uh, athlete project for human rights that they were wearing. 
and uh, he entered, he made history. And uh, <laughs> I, I found this story extremely fascinating. You have five minutes to decide what to do. Are you there to take a stand for the good? Are you going to ignore it? And he did that. And because of that, he was discriminated. He was punished. The Federation did not invite him <laughs> to the next games. When he died, it was, it was uh, Tommy Smith and John Carlos that were there and uh, accompanied him during the funeral, which I find extremely moving and uh, mm. very nice. That's great. Um, fortunately, our time is running out f so fast. I want to uh, thank you so much for giving them examples, of, you know, practical examples. It's, it's really good. And the fact that you're talking to schools, uh, this is the goal of this podcast too. So that there, there can be a voice that goes straight to the young people to see what, what kind of jobs are out there that they could be interested in. So many thanks for um, sharing your own experience and uh, all the best for you. It was really a pleasure, Laura, to contribute and thank you again for the invitation. My goal with this podcast is to help you find your career path. By listening to my episodes, you might find an idea that you hadn't thought before or jobs that you didn't know existed. In order for me to help you, I need your help. What are you looking for? What jobs would you like to listen to? Who would you like me to interview? Write me at jobtalespodcast at gmail.com.